0: You already know that subscriptions can add predictable recurring revenue to your store. But did you know that Bold Subscriptions has added a ton of new features to make it even more profitable? Their convertible subscription feature first lets customers subscribe to one product, and then automatically switch it to a different one the second month. Why? This way you can set up trial sizes, free samples, like, uh, all those shaving websites. They've also added a cancellation flow to keep people on the subscription that I think is really cool. It's like abandoned cart recovery, but for subscriptions. So if you've ever tried to cancel your Audible account or anything like it, you'll see what I mean. If you say you don't like it in the books, they'll offer you one for free. If you say it's too expensive, they'll try to give you a deal on the next month. Basically, Bold built this into the subscriptions app and it stops up to 30% of customers from canceling their subscriptions. And their most recent feature, is the subscription buy button that lets you sell your subscriptions directly with a link that's perfect for email, blog posts, Facebook, whatever. Now, one of the things I personally love about it is that customers can manage everything about their subscriptions by themselves. They can log in, pause, skip, edit, update, payment info, their address, swap products, add products, whatever. They can just manage everything themselves. That's a huge time savings for merchants because it means fewer customer support requests. Now, if you wanna add predictable recurring revenue to your business, Bold's offering their subscription app to listeners of the unofficial Shopify podcast free for 60 days. Go to kurtelster.com slash bold to install it. That's kurtelster.com slash bold. Additional support for the unofficial Shopify podcast comes from SEO Manager. You already know the benefits of SEO. The higher you rank in search, the more visitors you get, and more visitors means more sales, which means more money in your pocket. But how do you do it? That's where SEO Manager comes in. It helps Shopify store owners get found in search engines more easily, and it's trusted by thousands of store owners. No surprise there, it's equal parts power, innovation, and ease of use. Think of SEO Manager as your optimization toolbox. Here's some examples. It can scan your site for issues, offer keyword suggestions, add structured data support, analyze missing pages and redirects, and even integrate with Kit plus a ton more tools to help you be easily found in Google searches. Best of all, it's easy to get started. You can get started in minutes. And their friendly support team is always on standby if you need help. Seriously, I have met them. They are the best. And as a special offer to you, you can get 10% off SEO Manager forever when you sign up at seomanager.com unofficial. That's seomanager.com unofficial.
1: Kurt Elster, what is going on? It's been a while since I've spoken to you.
0: It's, it's been a bit, and I regret that. That's my fault. I should really be following up with someone as fabulous as Steve Chow. <laughs> well,
1: it's funny. Last time we hung out was at the Clavio conference, and we recorded one of these podcasts also. It was a lot of fun.
0: I was going to say, as soon as you said, the last time we hung out was at Clavio, and the first thing that popped in my head was, that was so much fun. Like, when I think about that conference... That's really the like the memory I have is recording with you and you Darian, and Tony in that like cool and but weird little recording booth setup they had. It was a ton of fun.
1: And what I remember is you guys like busted on me the entire episode and yet I still published that one.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know, sometimes you just have to speak truth to power. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right, so Kurt, today's a really exciting episode. We're gonna be talking about common mistakes that store owners make and let's start out with your number one pet peeve what is that
0: <laughs> obsessing over page speed and and now as of today core web vitals
1: yes so actually can you talk about core web vitals first and what they are even just in case the listeners don't even have any idea what that is
0: okay so originally we google said hey you got to look at your page speed and they had like this arbitrary what i feel is a largely arbitrary metric that much to its detriment Gives you a score, a grade. It grades your website, and it's based on what I think is, is fairly flawed data. And the implication was always, if it doesn't perform well, at some point you're not going to rank on Google if you can't get a good score. And the reality is like that—that that is uh, an overstatement of what is really happening. And so, re- as of now, is uh, coming out a a Google update is around the corner, or maybe like about to publish in which they're going to take into consideration three metrics from the larger Google PageSpeed score called Core Web Vitals. And the, probably the most important one there is um, first content paint. So really it's like how long does it take, not necessarily like how long does the entire website take to load, how long until I can see it and use it is really what Core Web Vitals looks at to like simplify it. Because right. um, you could be on a website, it starts loading, and you could start using it and scrolling before it's finished. Like stuff can load in the background; that's fine. They don't actually care about that part. It's how long until I can use the darn thing? And so people naturally freaked out. And the reality is, when they what's really going on is, if you look at like the fine print of the description of what Google's saying they're going to do, it's they're saying, "Hey, if we have two sites that rank for the same placement, the one with the better." Core Web Vital Rating will take priority. We're going to use it as a tiebreaker. Okay, so speed is important, but it is not the be-all, end-all, lose-sleep over-it thing that I, I think it's being presented as and people are treating it. And really, my issue is I'm so sick of the anxiety and the the hair tearing out that's occurring with merchants needlessly because of page speed.
1: That's you know my what, problem. You know what the problem with it is? Is they gives you a letter grade from zero to a hundred, and agents Ow. everywhere are trying to get a freaking hundred percent, and it really can't be done without jumping through a lot of hoops. And I think I think it was was it your podcast or one post on Facebook where you actually looked at some of the top Shopify stores, and all of them had page speed scores under twenty. Yes. Yeah.
0: Yes. Yeah. The, so they Google Shopify's uh, making effort in, um, trying to get people to make, to have more performant websites. And as part of that, they said, Hey, you, you could see in your store, like here's a page speed grade. And it's a little better than like the regular page speed grade, because it's an average of like a homepage, a product page, a collection page. It's a little more accurate. And then in my partner portal in shopify, where I could see like, these are the stores I have access to. These are my client stores. I could rank, just sort them all and see what the scores are. And what's interesting is very few people get above 30. And the stores I have that get above 60, they're stores that we built like five to 10 years ago and then really haven't changed. They just worked and that was the end of it. And so I thought that was interesting. So I know part of the issue here is like, is app JavaScript. We've done the research here and discovered largely it's it's javascript it's apps and it's not deferring the load on that javascript that creates the problem but in our like our seven eight a couple nine figure stores all of them are in the low double digits like 12 is a pretty typical score and shopify will tell you like oh you score the same as similar stores so we know for the highest performers the teens so like f minus minus if we're applying a letter grade
1: is the typical average score. You know what's frustrating about this is that since I teach e-commerce and teach SEO, like I felt like I had to do it for myself. So all my sites are in the 90s now across the board. Hell but yeah. it took me three weeks to do that. And I had to jump through hoops and get into the code in order to do that. And I can't expect a non-technical person to possibly do that, which is ridiculous. Like Google cannot expect you to do this stuff, right? Would you agree? Yes. No. And the
0: like. I just don't understand. I don't understand the initiative. I don't understand the why this has become a priority all of a sudden. Like, I would love to know internally at Google what is going on here. Is it some altruistic desire to make the internet more accessible to slower devices? Never. Probably not.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like, I wonder what the the real objective is here. Well, here's my take on that. You know, one of the core web vitals is cumulative layout shift, which is basically whether your website shifts up and down when it's loading, right?
0: That's so weird.
1: Who cares? Well, have you ever gone on one of those sites where, like, you're trying to click on the next button, but then the ad all of a sudden appears where the next (laughs) button is, and you click on an ad by accident? Yep. I think they're trying to reduce that and click fraud. That's their motivation.
0: Oh, wow. I like that theory. Never would have occurred to me. Yeah, that's pretty brilliant. Like, if you look at how they generate their revenue, that makes right. a lot
1: of sense. And also, this page speed, like, if it loads faster, that's more ad clicks. Oh, man. Right? You cracked the case. So that's what I really think this is for. And so they're trying to automatically, algorithmically take out those people who are just trying to scan the system for AdSense.
0: Hmm. This is really good.
1: It's my take. That's my take. All right.
0: I, I love it. So I think the other interesting thing is Brian Dean from Backlinko published data yesterday where they looked at um, something, it was like 200,000 sites, something nuts. And he said there was very little correlation, if any, between UX metrics, which I think they measured, it sounded like they measured in page views, um, and core Web Vital scores. So obviously like stuff that was way screwed up, it would correlate. But for the most part, it really did not have an impact on UX. Hmm.
1: Yeah. I, think they're, I don't think the rollout has fully happened yet. I think they delayed it till like next month, I believe. So we'll see what happens. But I suspect you're right. It's probably not going to have as much of effect. It'll have a similar effect as to what PageSpeed did when it first got announced. Uh,
0: so tell me, sir. What, PageSpeed is clearly the thing that makes me crazy. That's my big one, is every time someone brings up the ghost of PageSpeed, I'm like, oh, here we go. What drives Steve Chow nuts?
1: Okay, you know what drives me crazy? is when someone comes up to me and says, I tried Facebook ads and Google ads and it didn't work. And then I go over to their site to take a look and they're driving paid traffic to a site that just isn't ready. And we can expand upon this because I know this is part of your pet peeves too. But how many times have, has someone said that to you? You go over to their site and it's just terrible. <laughs> but yeah, but then Facebook ads gets blamed. The tra- you can't blame the traffic store because your site doesn't convert. right. And they spend all their time on the copy and all this stuff where they're just driving it to something that has poor copy. It, it actually doesn't even make sense to me.
0: The Yeah, the, the often the disconnect there is frustrating. Um, or really, like, they, how often have I been on, or have you been on, I, I like Instagram, I'm a millennial, I suppose. So I like Instagram, I go through my Instagram stories, and then I'll see an ad for something that looks interesting, I'll swipe up on it, and I just end up on, like, Either they send me to the homepage, in which case I'm just clicking out. Heaven forbid, do not send anyone to your homepage. Or I just end up on like an entirely standard, unoptimized product detail page with like a one-line description,
1: and I'm like, what? What did you think was going to happen here? And of course, it just balanced. Well, you know what my pet peeve is. Since we're talking about product descriptions, my biggest pet peeve is when I see a product that has zero likes, zero shares, zero everything, zero reviews. And they didn't even take the time to hide the zero part because when I see zero, that indicates to me that no one's buying anything. Yeah, it, this is zero
0: social site. proof is what you exactly. just advertised. Exactly,
1: <laughs> that's negative social proof. It is. It actually causes me to leave because that means no one's bought that product before, right?
0: And that's it's funny that uh, product reviews apps don't n- uh, know to hide themselves, especially like the review stars widget if there are zero stars. And that's for most of these apps, that's a pretty easy customization that we have to go implement. It's not hard, but that should just be an option built into them. Because, yeah, zero reviews is just like a red flag (laughs) if I'm a brand new visitor.
1: Actually, you know what? That's really interesting. So you actually have to muck with the code to fix that? Yeah. Interesting. And then the same goes with social proof, right? Like Facebook likes and shares and that sort of thing. You, You physically go in?
0: I almost don't. You know what? I... Almost always scrub those social share buttons because what are the chances that you actually get someone to share a product page to their Facebook
1: feed? That's a tough sell. I agree with you, actually. Um, I had considered removing those altogether because I know from my own site, very few people click on those. However, I will say that people do click on the Pinterest button, though, since I guess since I'm in the wedding industry. I will say,
0: yeah, for some industries, the pin it button, that's a win but beyond like but it you need to be in the right niche and wedding is perfect for that um, but beyond that like you know oh a product page i'm going to share this to my timeline no one's doing that it's just not going to happen
1: interesting so do you, do you take away those social buttons actually for for your clients
0: i do yeah i as a i always just sh- at this point i just strip them out and then if there's pushback on it i said well we can heat map it or split test it i said but if i heat map your best selling product i guarantee out of 2000 visitors you will get uh, uh, flip a coin one or zero clicks, and sure enough, that's what happens every time. And it was so consistent that like I don't even think about it anymore. I just strip them out unless it's in an uh, a you know like wedding, in which case, I just give me a pin it button and that's the end of it.
1: you know what's tricky about this is like the default Facebook buttons always have the the number next to it, right? right? And so unless you know how to manipulate the code a little bit, it's actually kind of hard. I had to code up my own button to do that to. Remove oh, really? shares. yeah.
0: Um, yeah, most of the time, it's, yeah, it's just like, Facebook, share, and it doesn't have the numbers. I mean, if people are actually sharing it, more social proof. That's always going to be my priority. If the question is, should we add more social proof? The answer is yes.
1: I don't think you could do enough. And here's like an obvious pet peeve. Like, it's, it's intuitive to me, but sometimes I'll land on the site, and I'll have no idea what the heck they're selling, or why I should buy from them at all. Oh, uh, the story
0: and the description, and the positioning. and the te- Those are the fundamentals. I swear to God, all of the fundamentals are in copywriting, and that's including the social proof. Like, you gotta nail those before you worry about design and page speed. I think that's my other issue, is like, you know, sites with one-line descriptions that and no reviews, and like, we're worried about our page speed score. You got bigger problems.
1: Actually, you know, I'm, I'm actually curious, since you work with a lot of clients, what is your hierarchy of priority when you land Uh, on a site or what you work on
0: okay so a hundred percent number one i it needs to be clear the positioning or the tagline needs to be clear because you said like i land on a site i got no idea what they're doing why i'm here that's a big problem and if like you saw it everybody else did too so when i land on a site i need within seconds i need to know what they sell, why, or at least you've been able to spark my curiosity. You know, like I land on doglawyer.com and they're like, oh, that's not a real site. Um, But certainly like a name (laughs) like that, I got to know more. So like sometimes you get lucky and you can get away with not having more of a story initially. Uh, But for the most part, like you got to have a tagline, a headline. You need something to orient me as to like how, why the heck I just got dropped in here and what I'm supposed to do next. And so I really like the absolute cornerstone of everything is knowing and nailing and communicating that positioning statement. Sorry, right, That and needs that to be above be like, the fold. Yes. And usually it's like, all right, I want your logo. And can we, can we put a three to five word tagline underneath it? Oftentimes, that's a great way to do it. Um, I and mean, maybe you get lucky and like your the brand name has what you sell and it is obvious. Like Harney and Sons Fine Tea Company. I'll give you a guess what they sell, right? So that one, like you get lucky. Um, but yeah, I want like a a tagline. I want a headline. I want something that's going to make it really clear to me above the fold what you sell. All right. And then that makes it easy for me as a, a, as a visitor, as a customer to go, all right, I want to know more, or this isn't for me. One of the two, but either way, we're separating the wheat from the chaff. And then from there, okay, tell me a story. I like stories. Tell me a story. I want that brand story and it's even like in a product description you still want to be able to tell a story. On an about page you're telling a story, on the homepage you're telling a story. If you're not storytelling throughout this journey, you're leaving money on the table. Like that is the next fundamental. And that really comes down to all right, all of this falls under copywriting. We're not talking about design or development. This is just you got to you got to type on the keyboard and make it make the click clack noise, right? You
1: <laughs> nobody wants to do it. It feels like homework. Here's so gets pushed example. to the bottom. Uh, So our mutual friend, I think Michael Jammin, he runs Twirly Girl. And they sell kids' dresses. I love Michael Right? Girls' dresses, very commonplace, very saturated. But their story is so amazing. It was about how his wife was abused as a child, and she just wants to express all the... uh, Of course, I'm not doing a good job of explaining this. But she wanted to create these dresses to make girls really happy. And he has just really clever videos on his site that clearly express this amazing story. I'm not doing it justice. And that video makes almost all of their sales. It's oh, on yeah. the about page. It's on the front page. It's an amazing story. Every time I watch it, I want to go buy a dress. They have,
0: well, there's quite an unfair advantage there in that Michael Jammin is a actual, honest to goodness, Hollywood screenwriter who wrote for uh, King of the Hill yes. and Beavis and Butthead. I mean, guy, it's just brilliant and hilarious. And he applied, he, he knew what Hollywood storytelling worked, like what that looked like, what that process was and when it worked. And he turned around and just applied it to copywriting on this website. And the results are, you know, million-dollar videos.
1: For most humans, though, like, you should work on your About Us page a little bit. Tell a story, just something about yourself that's a little bit more personal. Because you don't want to appear as, like, a big, faceless, big, large company, right? You want to be, you want to play off the mom-and-pop aspect because people want to shop from mom-and-pop stores.
0: Well, yes. And especially now, the, I think in, the last two years, we've really seen the rise of, of conscious consumerism, where people want to know who's getting their dollars and why. Like, why should I care? I have, at this point, I now have what feels like infinite options for just about anything I want to buy. So being able to tell that story, that's the competitive advantage against Walmart, against Amazon. They can't compete with that. They're not a person. They're, you know, Jeff Bezos, richest man in the world going to spit. Like the guy feels like a supervillain at this point, right? You're not, you're a person. You could be their neighbor. If they can relate to you and relate to their story, your, your story, then you are going to get those dollars. People are going to vote with their dollars and say, believe in what you're doing. And if you keep your mouth shut and never share your story, you guarantee that that's never going to happen.
1: So a common misconception is that people don't even look at your About Us page, but I guarantee you, and this is for our store, the About Us page is probably the second or third most trafficked page on the site, because when you're shopping at an unknown boutique, people actually want to know the people behind the store.
0: Yes. Yeah. Well, can think about it. It's like, you know, if somebody jumped out in a parking lot, hey, give me your credit card number. I've got these t-shirts. You want to buy them? Give me your credit card. That's insane. But that's functionally what a lot of online direct-to-consumer stores do. And so I need to know who it is who's asking for my credit card number. And that's why that About Us page is so important. And if you run screen recordings on a site, it's, it'll probably be true for just about everybody's. As you'll see a, a fair number of people will add to cart and then go check the About page. And then you can see whether or not they've made a purchase decision on if they go back to the cart and proceed to checkout.
1: Here's what I actually like to do. So usually when you ask your friends for an opinion on your site, they're your friends, right? So they're going to say, oh, it's great, it's great, it's going to do great. But they're probably lying to you because they don't want to hurt your feelings, <laughs> right? So what I like to do is I'll, I'll use a service like PickFu. It's basically like a polling service. You can get 50 responses within like 15 minutes. And I did it with my site maybe a year ago. And you'll get real unbiased comments like, hey, I hate the pop-up. I hate this. I hate this. Oh No, I would not shop there. You just ask a simple question. Like if you landed on this site for the first time, Assuming you like the products, would you buy from here? Simple question like that, and you'll get a lot of oh, high-opening answers. How do you spell pick food? PickFu? P-I-C-K-F-U.
0: Um, maybe oh. in
1: the show notes, I actually have a 50% off coupon off of that. So if you want to try it. It'll be the best $25 bucks you will ever spend, I guarantee you.
0: Sweet. No, I know this works because we've used... Um... I'm not. I'm not familiar with PickFu, but I've, I've used Hotjar, which will let you do. Uh, they call them incoming surveys. S- uh, s- same oh, it's concept. same thing. There's a
1: lot of companies that do yeah. similar things. Yeah. yeah, a lot of like
0: uh, I. I don't use it, but I know a lot of Shopify merchants, like Lucky Orange. I think it can do it. Um, oh
1: really? Okay. I'm not sure. Uh, you know what? I shouldn't say that. I really have no idea. <laughs> well, so the students in my class, I have them do it before they submit, like a before they ask me to critique their site. Basically, I ask them to do it. Ah. And it's eye opening. It's eye-opening.
0: Well, so this brings me to one of my other pet peeves, not talking to your customers. Yes. Nobody talks to their customers. They're, it's like, well, and oftentimes you ask like, oh, why do your customers buy? And they'll have an answer. And then I'll say, how do you know? Oh, we just know. So what? You just know? That means, you do, that means it's a best guess. And it, you might be right, but until you ask, it's still just a best guess. And that's what I love about talking to your customers. And one of the best ways to talk to your customers, man, pick up the phone, call your customer, use phone.app, it's the best app, call your customers on the phone and talk to them and be like, Hey, you know, why'd you buy? What, what'd you hope to get out of this? Tell me about the experience. I mean, just talking to a few people is really enlightening. Um, but uh, you know, at the same, it will have a similar effect to asking your friends where they're not going to tell your face, like, well, it kind of sucked. Uh, they might, but they're less likely. Whereas that, that instantaneous pop-up, like you're getting that immediate reaction unfiltered and man, people tell you the craziest stuff in those pop-ups. Um, but it's so it, it it's incredibly helpful especially when it's like all right, you know, I got a few weirdos but you know, eight people all kind of said the same thing was their initial impression and it wasn't great.
1: Oh, all right. So now you know that's a thing you need to address. You know what I do every time I release a new product and it actually what? drives my wife crazy? I have an abandoned cart script on my site where if they abandon, like I get emailed saying, "Hey, this person with this phone number abandoned," and I'll call them up. And I'll say, "Hey, um we just noticed that you tried to check out, but you didn't complete the process. Was there anything wrong? And is there anything that I can you know, help you with? And more often than not, they're actually willing to talk to you and tell you what's wrong. And then usually what I'll do is at the end, I'll give them a big coupon or sometimes I'll just give them the product for free after that. To just compensate them for their time. It's really hard to do this. It's really hard to cold call. Well, it's, it's definitely not cold calling, right? Because they were on your site and they gave it's you. It's not dinner.
0: cold calling, but yeah, no,
1: okay. But hey, it's awkward.
0: Who wants to pick up the phone and call a stranger and be like, uh, "You tried to buy from my website and you bounced, and I want to talk to you about that." Like, uh, the first several times you do that, I'm sure was nerve wracking.
1: It is actually, you know what? If you want to make it a little bit more comfortable, what you can do is you can lead to the offer. You can just sit, you can lead with the offer and say, "Hey, you know." Uh, we we noticed you didn't check out and don't worry I'm going to compensate with your time with a big coupon or give you the product for free but I just like some honest feedback on why you didn't make the purchase the first time. And do you represent yourself as like hey you know, I
0: I run this site with my wife like did you make it very yeah, personal? I'll say
1: hey I'm the owner of of this business I run it with my wife and we just launched this product and we just noticed that you tried to check out but you didn't finish it and we we're just wondering you know if you give some feedback on the process. Something very straightforward like that and I would say seven times out of 10, someone will probably be willing to talk to you.
0: Interesting. And so, oh, I love this idea. And so when you call them, what kind of objections do you typically hear? They're like, well, because they're going to tell you're essentially saying, like, why didn't you buy? And so that you can then bust that objection for other people in the future. And then you you seal the deal with, hey, I'll give you the thing for free. And now you've got a customer for life or like, here's 50% off. I'll just give it to you at cost.
1: Right. So I can tell you this because uh, maybe a couple of years ago we launched like a new apron line. And sometimes you'll get a question, you'll, you'll get an answer like, hey, I was on my mobile phone and it just wasn't convenient to check out. Which could be a problem in itself, right? Like maybe you need a better mobile payment system so you don't have to enter in all that stuff. Like you're not using PayPal OneTouch or... or I was going to say, yeah. yeah like or, you
0: need, an, if, you, if if you hear that objection and you don't have an express payment option, now you know what the solution is.
1: Right. But, uh, so in this particular case with the apron, what ended up happening was the woman was like, hey, you know, I, so we sell a mother-daughter apron set just to kind of give you some background. And there's sizing for the adult. And then for the kids, we just have an age range, like uh, two, I can't remember what the age range is now, two to four and six to 10 or something, two, two to six or six to 10. Anyway, the problem was, was that the person wasn't clear what the size, the exact sizing was for their child because they have like a child who's, you know, larger percentile-wise, and they weren't sure that the apron was going to fit, and we didn't do a good job of conveying that. And so, after talking with her, I was like, "Hey, so what information would you need? Because we actually have the measurements there, right? We have the measurements in the product description, but she, what she would have liked to see was like, you know, if this, if my daughter is is five foot six or something like that, like a height a height scale." And so that was something that... Yeah,
0: they want, like, a table.
1: Exactly. Yeah, based on height, not necessarily age, because age is ambiguous.
0: Yeah, I don't like age. You know, like, uh, all of my children are tall, but my daughter is in the the 98th percentile for height at age four. So people are always like, she's four? Well, when sizing stuff is based on age, it's really hard. I found for all of my kids, like, just add, you know, plus one or plus two, depending when they use those age sizes.
1: Um, and this so, might be common sense for apparel, but this was the first apparel item that we actually ever carried in our oh. store, so we didn't know. Right? I
0: was okay because I was going to say with apparel, the number one objection by far is sizing. Yep. Like, will this thing fit me? And then the follow up objection is, well, if I buy it and it doesn't fit because this sizing is ambiguous, so I really a lot of people feel like I'm gambling when I buy apparel online. Still to this day. And then, so you need to be really upfront with, here's the returns and exchange process if this doesn't fit. And I flat out like put it in there as, what happens if it doesn't fit? Hey, we'll pay for the
1: return shipping, and we'll send you a different size. Here's the rub on this, though. So we do do personalized aprons. Oh, no! you can't return them, which was a further objection. I mean, these are all things that we learned. And this might be common sense to people who sell apparel, but we weren't experienced in that. So these are all things that we learned just from cold calling people.
0: Yeah, no, like you you know, no matter what you do, you don't know what you don't know.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And that's and that's why we're hammering on you have to talk to people cuz otherwise you don't know. How can you increase your Shopify sales by 10 to 15% overnight? Well, you could make a deal with the devil. Can you believe it? All I had to do was give him my soul. <laughs> or you could just use Zipify one click upsell. Created by the owner of a $100 million e commerce store entrusted by over 8,200 Shopify merchants, One Click Upsell helps you boost your average order value with targeted upsells and cross sells. Plus, it's got mobile optimized offer pages that drive sky high conversions and built in split testing for maximizing your results. It's no wonder One Click Upsell has made its users an extra $162 million in sales. And it only takes a few minutes to install the app, launch your first upsell, and start generating 10 to 15% more revenue overnight. To start your free 30-day trial, go to Zipify.com Kurt. That's zipif dot K-U-R-T. And to give an unadvertised bonus, email help at Zipify.com and ask for the Tech Nasty bonus.
1: Tech Nasty. All right, you're, is it my turn or your turn? <laughs> was, that, was that was that yours or mine? I feel like we had the same peeves, pet peeves. I have no,
0: I don't know anymore. Right. Um, well, so we, we made some app recommendations, and that leads me to the other issue that I see, and this like especially with Shopify stores, is people. I I call this app roulette, and you know the number, regardless of what platform you're on, there are apps, plugins, and scripts, and like tools, and there is no end to the amount of really cool stuff you can use on your site, and these are shiny toys. And I call it app roulette because it's like, well, if I just get the right combo of tools, if I have the right tool stack, you know, my conversions will explode. My average order value explode. I'll make more money. I totally get what's going on here. But I mean, it just becomes detrimental where you end up. It, you can see the sites that are doing this when you land on it. And A, the site takes a while to load. So like, you know, that page speed score is tanked. Um, and then the <laughs> and then it's like, all right, spin to win punch the monkey enter your email S <laughs> like I see someone who is familiar with punch the monkey from the nineties. Those nineties flash banner ads that really ages me. Um, and it, I, you know, that's what's going on is they're like, well, if I could just, you know, more throw more widgets at it, more shiny toys, will fix it. And it isn't the case, you know, it's just, it looks cluttered. Uh, it's confusing. And then, you know, and then on top of it, when they go to exit, my hot jar exit intent survey pops up and they're like, not another effing pop up. <laughs> That's a real thing that I, I see when I run those on sites that have a lot of stuff. They're like, yeah, why are there so many pop-ups?
1: So you probably see I, this a lot more than I do, but sometimes I'll open up a student's site and I'll see like 40 apps installed. Yep. And some of them don't do anything except like install like a small piece of code in there because they don't want to like touch their theme files and whatnot. Like it literally yes. just inserts That's a scary. piece of JavaScript. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I don't. Oh, edit my theme. Oh my gosh, that's you know you may as well. It's like pop the hood and adjust the timing on your distributor. Like it's a scary thing if you don't know what it means. So I get why those apps exist. There's a lot that's just like you're right. It's just it injects one line of JavaScript code, and now you're paying eight dollars a month for the rest of forever.
1: i, I do want to say I do want to say something that I've seen, and maybe you have more experience in this since you work with a lot of clients. But I've seen people uninstall apps thinking that it was clean. But in oh. fact, they leave a piece of JavaScript in there. And whenever you have a piece of JavaScript in there, they can literally track everything about your site if, they're, if they want to do that, right? Have you seen that? Ins-
0: yeah, if they're insidious. All right, so Shopify specifically, when you, you have an app installed, when you click delete the on that app, or unins- I think it used to say uninstall, I think it says delete now. But either way, it's a misnomer. Really what it does is it just immediately severs the app developer's connection to your store and it's uh it's a security thing like that's all right they you want these guys out they're out the end of it um, and the problem with that is you know depending on how the the app works some add theme code to the theme i know i have uh, four yes. apps and all of them we just put theme code in the theme and we do it because that's the most performant option right but as soon as you delete the app guess what all that stuff's still there so you know we'll get our solution is we fire off immediately, we fire off an email, a transactional email to the, the merchant that says, Hey, we saw you uninstalled installed our app. A, tell us why. So we're looking for that objection. And then B, OK, if you didn't remove the theme code, here's exactly how to do it. And you have to do it. And if you don't want to do it, just hit reply. We'll do it for you. Like, I just, you know, I don't want to be part of the problem when it comes to performance. And so we do that. But
1: um, so you have seen you this don't before, what right? With certain apps. Oh, TV. yeah. OK.
0: Oh, nonstop. And so, like, when people are like, oh, my site's slow. Um, Former CTO of Shopify, uh, JML, said, websites get slow slowly. And it's because of exactly what you described. It's cruft. It's barnacles to a ship. It's this code just accumulates over time. And even though it's not doing anything, you know, the web server's not smart enough to figure that out, and the browser's not smart enough, and so it just, like... Every new site load has to load all this old garbage that you like completely forgot about from two years ago.
1: So, let me ask you this I have students that like I'll, I'll see this in students' sites. Is there an easy way for them to do it themselves without actually having me step in?
0: Uh, yes, and no. So, you almost all of this stuff is going to be sitting either in the the beginning or the end of theme.liquid this is specific to shopify yeah um so it's like i'm just looking for the header and footer that loads in every page and that's going to be in theme.liquid and most of these apps are, there's there there's either going to be uh, a comment on it or it will be evident from the name what it is you know it's like well, I installed acme widget pop up builder and you'll see like a line that says include You know, single quote, Acme widget pop-up builder, single quote. So you know, like, oh, okay, that's that app I don't have
1: anymore. And so you just safely comment
0: that out or delete the line.
1: A lot of people have theme editing phobia, though. They do. Yeah, Knowing
0: um, just a little... Like, you don't have to be a theme developer, but if you know enough to be dangerous, and that's the camp I put myself into. So you just know, like, basic HTML, which is not complicated... Uh, and maybe like a little bit of liquid and and theme structure, you immediately are way better off. There is just so much more you can do that you didn't realize, especially for like day-to-day stuff like, you know, add and remove tracking code, verification codes. Like a lot of people recently had to verify their domain with Facebook. Ah, So suddenly like you, that's the kind of thing that you'd be very comfortable and confident with. Um, And there's plenty of free classes out there. Like Skillshare's got a ton of stuff. You can learn just like, here's the basics of how a theme is set up. And like, I could go learn basic HTML and CSS and you will be in such a better position. Like, think about it. You're a web professional. Think if you are a merchant, whether you want to think of yourself that way or not. And your theme is very much like the face of your business. It's your full-time salesperson and you want to be able to speak its language. And so if you learn those things, not like you'll be able to do this stuff yourself and you'll be able to talk, uh, have better relationships of communication with a th- any theme developer you may hire. I mean,
1: you can't be an online professional without being willing to learn something about the internet or websites. That, that's my philosophy.
0: 100%. And like, whether you like it or not, you'll end up figuring it, some of this will sink in yeah. <laughs> over time. Yeah. All right, here's my biggest
1: pet peeve going for revenue over profit. I once had this student show me their Facebook ads account and they were generating sales, but the return ad spend was terrible, but they were getting the sales, which was making them happy, but it wasn't. Has that happened to any of your clients? I don't, I don't know. Um, the,
0: um, yes, but they, I think they were, they were more, when it's happened, they're more aware of it. They're like, okay, we got it this far where it's like, this is a loss leader and we're going to make it up on subsequent sales. Right? Like, Uh, we've acquired them as a customer at a loss, which is what like the big DTC brands do because they're spending other people's money. You know, they're not bootstrapping it. And then, all right, on subsequent sales, we'll make it up. Or like drop shipping businesses um, where margins are razor thin and they're like, well, I'll just revise, revise. We'll keep iterating. We'll dial it in. But, and it's like, well, all right, how much time do you give it?
1: And I don't know what the answer is. Well, I think, I'll just tell you a story from, with my store. So we're in the wedding industry. So you would think that we wouldn't have that much repeat business, right? But 12 percent of our repeat business 12 percent of our sales is repeat business, but it actually makes up 30 percent of our sales. But here's, here's the kicker. So our average order value is about 60 bucks, and 50 percent of our customers spend less than half of our AOV. But they represent the bulk of our customers. Whereas I think only 10 percent of our customers spend 2x of our AOV, but they actually make up 50 percent of our revenues. Right, So uh, we're a small business. We're very small. We have uh, a couple of employees, my wife and I. So where should we be focusing our time? We focus now on those big guys. We call them the whales. And it turns out that after doing some analysis, that a lot of our cheapy customers were coming from Facebook. And we only have a little bit of finite amount of time. So we now focus actually on the big repeat customers that we have in our store. And it, it just made life a lot easier for us.
0: So you're you're applying the eighty twenty rule Pareto's principle there, yes, right? Yes, yes. Um, it's not quite eighty
1: twenty though, but yeah.
0: Right, but uh, similar similar idea. Uh, I I love that you're doing this. I think you could apply that same thinking to like all manners and areas of your life. But tell me, when you're doing that customer analysis where you're segmenting them, and it sounds like you know uh, maybe you're getting to like RFM model. Um, how do you do that analysis? How are you identifying these customer segments?
1: Uh, so, we, I can't remember exactly how we came up with the idea with half the AOV, but we started with the average order value, right? What our average order value was. And then for our business, actually, a good portion of that 12% that I mentioned are event and wedding planners, right?
0: And ah, as soon as you said we had like 12% of repeat with a higher AOV, immediately in my head I went, I bet they're wedding professionals.
1: Yes. And so, what ended up happening is we start now looking for anomalies in our sales, and then we pick up the phone, like you said. And we'll call them up and we'll say, hey, we noticed that you ordered a lot. Um, You know, are you a planner? Like, are you going to order in bulk? I tell you what we'll do is we'll give you a special coupon code and a representative from our company that will handle all of your transactions and make sure they arrive at the destination on time. We'll give you a handholding, essentially. And after that, you know, that call, once we have established uh, some rapport, they continue to order us from us over and over and over again. And they're basically a customer for life that orders in bulk. They don't complain about anything. It's like the best customer ever.
0: So essentially, uh, this is this is brilliant. So what some people do, they say, all right, I want those wholesale accounts because they have high AOVs. Um, and so they'll set up a wholesale program, but it's just like a link on the site and they expect people to go sign up for it. You are proactive about it. You're identifying these people that are wedding professionals and these are your like, really, these are your ideal customers who have the biggest lifetime value. And so... And then, so once you identify them, you call them up and say, Hey, we, we see you and we want to help you. So here's your lifetime discount code. And we're going to really like their big fear is a wedding is a mission critical event. So you're saying, Hey, we're going to make sure you get your stuff. Yep. We're going to look out for you. And then, so as soon as you do that and you are so proactive, I imagine that you just have customers for life with them.
1: The phone call is actually pretty important in this case. Again, real contact. It's that phone call. Yeah.
0: And it's, like, they're, you're no longer, it's no longer a brand. It's, oh, it's, you
1: know, Steve. Steve's helping me out. Right. Another pet peeve is making a guess at who your real customer is and then writing all your copy to account for that imaginary person when you don't have any data. I, I don't know if that But it's, yeah. it's usually,
0: like, you're, they're, they're thinking about themselves. Pe- most yeah. people, their first customer, they are their own best first customer. And so they're writing to themselves.
1: The only reason I can talk about all this stuff is because I made all these same mistakes, just to be clear for anyone who's <laughs> listening. Um, yeah, I'm,
0: I'm sure we, we've both done some uh, some boneheaded things. I mean, I got an time. example
1: on, on this line, too. Like, I assume that all our customers are wedding customers. But the reason I found this out is I was looking at my Facebook demographic data, and I noticed that a lot of our customers were over the age of 55. And I'm like, there can't be people over the age of 55 getting married, like a whole bunch, right?
0: yeah. This was an outlier. This
1: was an outlier, but it turns out like a lot of those repeat customers are people who just like to collect handkerchiefs, believe it or not. Oh, what? Yes, right? Just like you like to collect old cars. Like I you do. Just got a, Kurt just got a Volkswagen Beetle, 79 Beetle, which is pretty sweet. Uh, there's people who collect handkerchiefs, or they're crafters, and these tend to be older women who do these things.
0: Huh. And so you had this this customer segment that you were not aware of uh did you once you knew that did was there any like actionable info there well, or anything that you like you changed
1: yes actually so in the old days every single page was about weddings every landing page was about weddings okay and so now we've we've uh, we have a special section for weddings now but the rest of it is just talking about you know either embroidered blanks for crafting or some of these older ladies who like to collect them like the copy has changed basically
0: Okay. Yeah. And so initially, well, we talked about, like you said, hey, the, the big pet peeve is people just assume they know what the customer is like and then they write to that
1: customer. Right. What's the correct method? What should they be doing instead? The correct method is you're not going to know from the beginning. So you can start with some assumptions. But again, you have to, as you said before, talk to the customer. Uh, we have like a survey in our post purchase sequence that kind of asks them, you know, what they're using it for and that sort of thing. And then based on the survey data, we make adjustments. Uh, we actually don't call those customers. We, I guess, it'd be just too many. We only call the whales. But um, yeah, we're we're constantly trying to get data about our customers so we can do things appropriately. Like so, for SMS, for example, sometimes we'll ask, you know, what would you like us to carry in our store and what would you use it for, or something like that. And what would you
0: use it for? I think that's the critical question. Yeah. Is you like, hey, you're you're trolling for product suggestions. Hey, what do you want us to sell? But then, like, what? Why is really is the, I think the follow-up question that most people miss. You need to scratch a little bit deeper and figure out what the intent is Yes, because that really adds so much, so much info and, and tone to why they're making that request.
1: A perfect um, example of this is uh, my buddy Neville. He used to run an e-commerce store a long time ago, and he used to sell rave supplies. So there's this one <laughs> product that he sold, which were fingertip lights. And I, okay. I've never—I don't really go raving, but supposedly, you, like, you twirl these around and you know whatever. But yeah, I know what you're talking yeah. about. I can picture this. He found that plumbers were buying this, these fingertip uh- lights, <laughs> so they could you know when of they're course. under the sink, they have lights on their fingertips so it's convenient and they can see what they're doing. That's pretty smart. So he wrote. He started writing copy to plumbers, <laughs> <laughs> and it ended up converting really well. Stuff like that. That's great. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Oftentimes, like, there's. Fa- Things don't necessarily have to uh, stick to their original purpose. Like, you mentioned, oh, Kurt's got a 79 Beetle. I have been using, trying to find the perfect mirror to fit behind in this, like, tight, hard-to-reach place where I'm adjusting a carburetor. And, you know, I bought an an automotive mirror, like, from an auto parts store. Didn't work. The mirror I found that worked, I've been using my wife's compact. (laughs) I've stolen her compact. And that's actually a much better mirror. It's much more useful. (laughs) So that's... Like that's clearly not the intended use there, but that's what ended up working. Um, not that I'm going to go like remarket compacts <laughs> yeah, as right. like automotive, you know, looky loo mirrors. Um, so you said post purchase survey. Give me what are some of your favorite post purchase survey questions?
1: Ah, oh, I'm trying to think. Well, mainly what they're using it for, and then I here's the kicker for ours, and this is specific to our business. We ask them if they are a professional in this business, like. Uh, are they buying for business or pleasure or as a gift and if they say business then we we call those people that, oh, yeah. that's actually our they primary they raised purpose. their hand as a whale yeah that's actually our primary purchase for the purpose for the survey actually for our store um, that's pretty bright but everyone else has different uses obviously but yeah uh, so i, I guess uh, sometimes we'll we'll ask them if they like the product and if so we'll ask them for a review or a testimonial or have them you know take photos for social and that sort of thing that that's what we mainly use it for
0: do you do any split testing?
1: No, actually, I was gonna talk about that. We actually don't do a whole lot of split testing. Um, uh, mainly because split testing takes forever. <laughs> it and it, does. it, it, it mostly fails. It mostly fails. Like it's mostly inconclusive. So I, I'm curious to see what you have to say about that, actually.
0: Okay, so you're you know, you're right about both things. Any test, like minimum, needs to run two weeks. And that's a frustratingly long time to wait. And during that time, you know, you're just like sitting there refreshing it, checking it and the your your probability to be best just keeps flipping back and forth between the two. So for a lot of stuff it that's true. It really it turns out I I think the conclusion with split testing is for many split tests, design is way less important than we think. The the copy and the content uh and the offer and the quality of traffic. Those really are the much more important factors to conversion and with split testing i think a lot of people just use it to split test design changes and that's why they end up with inconclusive results um or you know they're, they're calling it too early or they're they're starting them too early Where like you just don't have enough traffic mm-hmm. so one of the things that we do is like i'll usually use pr- uh, revenue as my primary goal as opposed to conversion because at least now i'm factoring in average order value and conversion by doing that and i think i'm getting Um, a, a better signal to noise ratio by using that. I think that helps, um, let it run long enough, like two weeks and really try to limit the number of tests you run at once or like the number of variants. Otherwise then the thing really takes forever to get anything conclusive. Um, but for the most part, I think a a lot of stuff, you know, really is just like very subjective and that it doesn't have, you're just, you need to use common sense on it. But for other things, it's like, man, should we do this? Is this a good idea? Like one phenomenal split testing thing we've done is figure out what your free shipping threshold should be. And this is a tough one to do. I found uh, an app that'll do it called ship scout and you have to be on Shopify plus to do it. So it kind of limits who can do this. Um, but it it is really cool where like you'll uh, the, the banner across the, the top offering free shipping, that threshold will change. And then once you're in, uh, the checkout, the shipping rates will change. And so you could figure out through data, okay, here's you know, like whether or not you're leaving money on the table with your free shipping threshold. So, like stuff like that, absolutely split test uh, those offers because that's going to have a real, real difference in revenue on the
1: business. Let me ask you this how much traffic would you recommend to even think about split testing? Uh, personally, so our, our site, I think it's about 50,000 visits a month. I don't even think that's enough to complete a split test unless I do a whole site-wide split test in a couple weeks.
0: Yeah, it's got to be, well, I think the traffic is an issue, and then on top of it, you also need the conversion. So if it's like a high, a moderately traffic site with low conversions, yeah, you're probably not a good candidate. But like, yeah, once you get to 100,000 visits a month with at least a a 1% um, conversion rate, all right, now we're cooking with gas and you should be able to split test just fine at that point. Right.
1: I can see the free shipping offer working because that's like a generic conversion event. But if I was trying to test like some UI change on one page, that one page would have to get a lot of traffic, right?
0: Right. Yeah. And that's the issue we get into. Like I'm running some split tests now, and even on a site that gets um like that's in the one the percent of websites as far as traffic goes, running a split test on an individual product page, you're it's never gonna get yeah, it's never gonna happen. Like that it will be years before I have a statistically significant result. Yeah. So even on these huge sites, if you make the test too specific, you run into issues.
1: So I would say, and you can agree with me or disagree with me here, if you're running a smaller site, I think something like PickFu is probably better than running a a real split. You'll get results in 15 minutes from people, from random people.
0: 100%. I also find um, heat mapping. Yes. Where it's like heat map, scroll map, uh... um, click map, or not click map, um, movement map, where you can see like where their mouse goes on desktop. Those are very valuable, even on sites that have less traffic. Like that, there you go. That's a heuristics analysis tool you can use way before split testing starts to make sense.
1: And here's an example of just something, uh, why why heat maps and, and scroll maps are useful. There's this one student I had, which was dead set on keeping their sidebar. Dead set, even though it didn't look good. And it was like, Compressing like the size of the images on the category pages, and so I was like, okay let's just run a test, and we finally discovered that no one is clicking on anything in the sidebar no one's even looking over on the sidebar, and so finally, <laughs> with that data, they removed it so that's yeah, and like we were talking
0: about social buttons earlier uh, that's like that's a thing that you could very easily use a heat map to figure
1: out like are people messing with this thing or not yeah well, the heat map says no. <laughs> Dude, Kurt, we've been talking for fifty minutes about pet peeves. You got anything else to add before we wrap this up? <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, you know, I, I think I think ultimately my pet peeve is 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 not starting. I think you need to get out of your own way sometimes. Ask yourself, you know, what would someone smarter than me do? And then go. You turns out you already know the answer. Then go do that. I think with for a lot of entrepreneurs, the biggest stumbling block is not any of this stuff. It's just uh, taking action and moving forward. So. Even if you're out there making mistakes, that's great. At least you're doing something.
1: My pet peeve is not being willing to do like the legwork or the dirty work. You got it, yeah. Most you people, need to do the work. Most people create an online business and think they can just do everything online. But doing stupid things like picking up the phone or actually talking to someone face-to-face or being a little bit more personal, I mean, these are things you got to do. It's just like a regular brick-and-mortar business in that respect.
0: 100%. Mr. Steve Chow, where could people go to learn more about you?
1: Yeah, if you guys are looking to get married, I can hook you up over at bumblebeelins.com. That's my e-commerce store. But if you want to learn more about e-commerce in general, head on over to mywifequitterjob.com. Offer a free mini course from beginners. Uh, It also covers advanced people. If you want to create content, uh, sign up, and that's a free mini course right there.
0: Fantastic. Thank you, sir. This has been a ton of fun. E-commerce sales are at an all-time high. So if you've been waiting for the quote-unquote right time to launch your online store, here is your sign. Yes, you gotta launch it now. In 2021, success in e-commerce is going to depend on whether or not you provide an amazing customer experience. And Out of the Sandbox has a 10-year track record of delivering excellent customer experiences by building premium Shopify themes that look and work amazingly well. And that helps merchants make more money. So their best-selling theme, Turbo, Fully loaded, easily accommodates high-volume large catalog shops or small shops looking for premium performance because it is just that flexible. It is arguably the fastest theme on the market with speed settings that you could control and customization settings that free themes just can't compete with. For 20% off turbo, visit outofthesandbox.com unofficial and use promo code Kurt 20 at checkout. Try the new theme for two weeks, and if you don't like it, they will give you your money back. How's that for a risk reversal guarantee? That's out of the slash unofficial, promo code KURT20 for 20% off turbo and a 14-day money back guarantee. If you'd like to help us spread the joy of entrepreneurship, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. If you're listening on a smartphone, tap or swipe up over the cover art of this podcast. You'll find some episode notes, including links to sites we discussed, and maybe some details you missed. You'll also find offers from our sponsors, so please support our show by supporting them. And thank you. The unofficial Shopify podcast was recorded and hosted by me, Kurt Elster, produced by my business partner, Paul Rita, for our Shopify partner agency, EtherCycle. Check us out at EtherCycle.com. Thanks for listening.